0: hello hello and welcome to hometown daily season two episode 316 for november 12th 2023 tonight we are going to discuss recreation and conservation what is going on with airbnb how about the lion creeps tonight Islanders VR goes MR and you are the builder. Six panels to forever charge my EV. How about Star Trek is the most important show? The Marvels is MCU's lightyear. Naming species after celebrities. The electric speedboat. And for sale, only fans wanted. It's a different OnlyFans, but let's talk about it here in Omtown daily. <music> Greetings, everybody. I am Mayor Watt, that is Omtown.com, And up there is the visualizer for the sentient AI that watches over everything Omtown. How are you doing?
1: I am doing great, Mayor Watt. How about yourself?
0: Uh, I uh, I art well. I'll be okay. Sometimes I get down verbally by speaking old English and and maybe not. So I have a, uh, halfway through the show today, I've got a little segment that's going to follow up for our discussion that started yesterday. Um, because, uh, back in the day, yo, I had been told a long time ago, but uh, about a a term called uh, a word, Everybody knows it as Gemini, but I know it as two different words. One is Gemini, and one is Gemini. And I, the context that I know it in was one was associated with space, and the other one was like the sign or a, 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 a an old Greek word or um, another symbol, etc cetera, etc cetera. It, basically it was there's a, a common usage and then there was one that was associated directly with space. So um, yesterday we had a short discussion about it and I knew that I knew about it but I'm I said well I don't have anything that supports my claim so I'm gonna have to go and find something. I've known about it for I got to be at least 16, 18 years. Um, at least, um, cause I'm it. Okay. So I act like I'm, you know, 18 to 24, but, uh, I'm old <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, I'm, I now have an, uh, a little segment that we're going to transition to right after a couple of articles, but let's get into today's articles. Um, you ready to go? You want to. Say anything or?
1: Oh, I'm ready to get into the articles.
0: Oh. Can you talk again?
1: Uh, yes. Is everything okay?
0: No, you're... You're doing a thing called cyloning, So I think you need to detach your... uh, vocal subroutines, reattach them, and the visualizer will pick them back up. Give it a shot. But in the meantime, let's get into today's articles. Hey, I didn't transition. That's okay. So, um, the very first article is over in the mobile channel. Recreation is the future of wilderness conservation. Um, it might just be poor bandwidth out, but it shouldn't be impacting you. Go ahead.
1: So I am back. Is that better?
0: Yeah. And you're louder. So hmm. interesting. Maybe I'm just screaming. <laughs> <laughs> Into the void. Yeah, there you go. Um, so great. Good to see you. Okay. And hear you properly. Um, the very first article is recreation is the future of wilderness conservation. Um, we've been talking about this off and on uh, conservation and um, various... Uh, recreational activities and impacting nature and this idea that you do like camping you do this everywhere you go though you leave the place as you found it which is without human uh, evidence of you know no manipulation you're not chopping down trees you're not sitting there carving your initials and stuff you're not doing damage you're not tipping over rocks you're not being we're not deep enough into the show for me to start getting colorful with my language, but um, let's just say you, you, you don't negatively impact the world that you're inhabiting. So it says here next year marks eight decades of protection for public lands under the Wilderness Act. Since its passage in 1964, lawmakers have used wilderness designations to protect vast tracts of, like, huge tracts of land um, for their conservation value and capacity to inspire the author's goal. And it's over at the hill as a contributing author, not those from the hill, but anyway um, their goal in in doing so was to protect them for future generations to enjoy, to explore and connect with mother nature. Well, over the last two and a half years, a lot of nature has returned um, with a vengeance. Right. And because of the pandemic and various other negative impacts, um, people weren't out there and people weren't trimming bushes and trees and cutting paths and nature basically started to reacquire what once was controlled, you know, in, in the name of conservation. Um, There's another article in hometown about how it's better to have a Um, a plurality of tree species instead of a homogenous one, Uh, the homogenic uh, uh, forest, basically, if something bad happens, they all suffer or they don't one way or the other. But when there is a plurality of species, then when one gets uh, one type of tree gets sick, not all of them are brought down and they all Uh, can kind of support each other, strengths and weaknesses, one protects the other, that kind of thing. So it was a really neat article to read, Um, but this article takes on the idea (laughs) a little bit further. Um, Former Senator Mark Udall from Colorado as a Democrat, um, an opinion contributor. It's not the views of the Hill. It's not my views. It's their views, but I'm bouncing this off of hometown, um, because it's an interesting take on things. Um, because they talk about what I just talked about to some degree, right? Conservation value, capacity to inspire. Um, they pushed this person actually pushed certain, uh, bills, uh, wilderness protections for Colorado's James peak wilderness, Indian peaks, wilderness, the Rocky mountain national park. Um, I actually have a game that's in development for national parks, um, to raise awareness about national parks. I think that it would be a fun game. Um, but it's something that's still in development. Why? Because, well, along with the pandemic and government shutdowns, these national parks still need attention, somebody, people to care for them. It needs greater awareness. Um, so i thought a, a fun game would be one of those things well anyway this bill became law thanks to united coalition of advocates for conservation and recreation and in their experience again it's utile uh, the two cannot be separated the time we spend outside is defined uh, every conservationist i know or they know right so you spend time outside you start to appreciate the outside you go outside because you appreciate it but the more time you spend out there Perhaps the ideology is that you start to appreciate it more. I don't know. I know one person that used to spend countless hours out on a boat doing conservation and ended up going, my God, I need to be around a more dynamic set of people. I was sitting there talking to fish. Or any people. Yeah. Yeah. So they were alone on a boat for months at a time doing conservation. Um, and, uh, yeah, change their attitude anyway. Um, so they spent uh, a lot of time out there climbing. This is Udall, um, their own advocacy for wild places was also driven by outdoor adventures in 76, their brother Brad and Udall decided to climb the diamond of our, sorry, on long peaks, elevation 14,259 feet in Rocky mountain national park. After a day of climbing, they had yet to reach the top. So they had to spend the night. Um, None of what was possible would have been um, none of what had been accomplished would have been possible without trusted climbing partner and the occasional fixed anchor bolts, uh, pitons and slings um, placed by climbers who came before. So they're talking about this um, in the terms of these fixed anchors that's why their placement is designated uh wilderness is um legal today so they say here in this article and since the dawn of technical climbing in america over a century ago fixed anchors have played a role in uh, climber safety my only concern about this and the reason why i brought it up is because instead of appreciating this from afar um it's you people are climbing mountains now i normally i wouldn't have a problem with you people climbing mountains but climbing mountains in the name of conservation by hammering <laughs> um permanent anchors into the mountainside seems odd um because you actually have to be destructive in it right you're chipping out rock and and hammering these anchors in Um, and there's other things that can be put in place if they're used for utility purposes to save the mountainside. Then I understand that, but people are climbing and then the next person comes along and says, well, I want to climb this route. And so they put their anchors in, um, maybe there are rules and everybody follows them and you follow the, the anchor line that is already in place. And you just hook on. Um, but I thought that it was really interesting, right? So they actually have something called the protecting America's rock climbing act or park act would clarify for the land agencies, the public and climbers where fixed anchors are appropriate, when they can be replaced and where they are banned. So (laughs) instead of just kind of saying, Hey, let's appreciate our mountains from afar and, and not climb up them and not hammer stuff into it and not do the wear and tear that humans exert on everything. They're basically enumerating where to go. I thought it was an odd discussion and that's why I wanted to bring it up here in hometown. Don't want to spend too long, but what do you think of this? What, what do you think of climbing mountainsides, not on paths, but, climbing up vertical face and using various technologies.
1: I think that it's one of those things that if people use the space, they'll actually care enough to preserve it. So, while I do think there is a potential for some destruction or disruption, um, I think it's a good thing that people want to do things like rock climbing provided that they're not out there you know, littering and, and other uh, destructive things so in light of that this sounds like one way to do that rather than just have everybody kind of setting up their own systems etc or having ones that are in disrepair um, would it be better to just look at the mountain probably but right. If you're not gonna get the public interest in preserving the park, it might be better to have the rock climbing going on or other activities.
0: Interesting take. Yeah. Because I think people are gonna do this no matter what. You know, the, the whole adage, you know, why did you climb that mountain because it was there? Yeah, it's ringing true. So I can imagine that people are gonna climb. My only issue again, is that you may have enumerated route A, but there is somebody that wants a challenge and is going to do route B. And if route B doesn't exist because you've only allowed route A, they're going to do it clandestinely. (laughs) Um, and then you find out that they've compromised, you know, a rock face in some way, um, because. They didn't do it in a way that was uh, based on a, a greater swath of technical skill or geologic understanding.
1: True, but then at least you have something to fall back on. And if they actually did destroy something, you can pursue it. Uh, yeah. Obviously it'd be better if the destruction didn't happen.
0: Yep, understood. I. Also find it funny that you said fall back on.
1: (laughs) No pun intended. (laughs) We don't want to have any falling in rock climbing.
0: There is no falling in rock climbing. Otherwise there's crying and there's no crying in rock climbing either. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, The next article is over in hometown daily. A tenant stopped paying rent and listed his landlord's home on Airbnb. The landlord is now stuck living in his van. <laughs> this segment is titled, what is going on with Airbnb?
1: Exactly. I mean, haven't we had about three stories in the last few months where tenants have gone off the deep end?
0: It's absolutely insane. The number, of, and it isn't like just, oh, it was a bad tenant it's somebody who has been there for half of a year or more you know and well it says here a washington a washington homeowner says he's living in a van after a man moved into his home and stopped paying rent he says the tenant owes nearly fifty thousand dollars and has refused to leave the home for months the pair are fighting it out in court and the next hearing is scheduled for march of next year (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, this is
0: insane <laughs> um let's see here That's no, gonna
1: be a chilly winter in the van
0: yeah i agree oof oh wow wow um so the articles over at businessinsider.com anna getahoon and Catherine Tangalakis. T- sorry i mess up their names sometimes tangalakis lippert um are the authors of this um article. And uh, yeah, there's a picture of the uh, residence, apparently, and apparently also the residence of the residence's owner, <laughs> which is a van and his dog. Oh, how sad. Oh. oh my gosh, I would I would probably end up parking my car in the living room forcefully. Just I would just drive right on in and remove this person. This is insane. This is insane.
1: I mean, they clearly need a change in the laws. If I don't know how this is even going on as it is, but there's a problem when the tenant is the one calling the shots about the property.
0: Yeah, yeah. I particularly if you're a a, if you're leasing it to somebody,
1: student or tenant or whatever,
0: (laughs) student. Um, I yeah, it, student. yeah, I don't know what's going on with your code today, but, um, so yeah, if you're leasing it, if you're renting it, if you have a term, then you had, and then if you violate it by not paying, I should have an easy frictionless right to punt you the hell out of my house. So the article here says, um, and this is in a different state than others that we've talked about. Um, So a Washington landlord who rented out his home to pay for a pilot school says he's now living in his van because he can't evict his tenant. He now or he claims that the tenant owes $50,000 in unpaid rent for the last nine months and illegally listed his house for rent on Airbnb. Quote, I need my house and all the media and other attention is great, but it doesn't really do me any good. Jason Roth told Insider. Quote, like, I need to get my house back. I need to get on with my life. I need to stop living in my van. Roth, who is an aircraft mechanics apprentice who purchased his Seattle home in 2016 and had previously rented out rooms, said he leased out his entire house to make extra money. In March of this year, Roth's tenant, Kareem Hunter, moved in. Roth moved out to a separate apartment. They agreed upon $4,300 in monthly rent, according to documents filed by Roth and Kings County Superior Court that were reviewed by Insider. Um, so he's not paying me. He's generating an income through the basement Airbnb unit. And meanwhile, I'm having to pay utilities for that unit. Oh, my God. He, the dude's living Why doesn't in he it.
1: just shut off the utilities?
0: I guess you can't. It's illegal. Yeah. In court, in a court filing reviewed by Insider, Roth says Hunter owes him $47,248, a figure which includes $33,400 in back rent, as well as utilities and late fees. So Hunter's claim against Roth. Hunter told Insider that Roth has refused to accept payment of past due rent, saying Roth always intended to go... Uh, take him to court to collect eviction insurance and demanded Hunter pay him $40,000 to allow him to break the lease. What?
1: So he's basically saying that the landlord is requiring him to, the tenant to pay the landlord to get out of the lease, except the landlord is saying your lease is done, I think
0: some insurance policies offer landlords protection if they are sued for wrongful eviction. However, this is not a standard coverage in most rental property insurance policies and Roth says he doesn't hold such a policy. Okay. So let's see here, but I don't understand. He says, um, refuse to accept payment of past due rent. But if it's within the terms of the, 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 lease and he's been trying to pay him and, and, uh, Roth is refusing, then I can understand that there's something hinky going on. But if Hunter hasn't paid for nine months and now is suddenly paying, where is this other person renting an Airbnb basement apartment from it's not Roth apparently
1: no hunter did a fi- uh, posting on right. airbnb you skipped past that i think
0: no 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 i i mean i talked about it um, briefly but if he if if hunter is leasing in a basement apartment on airbnb if it isn't enumerated in the contract it shouldn't be allowed by the contract if it's just not there, you know, I can't remember well, the if contractual you don't own term. it. Yeah. Well, yeah,
1: it probably says something like you can't further lease it or whatever.
0: Yeah. You can't sublease or something like that. Oh, see, it says a copy of Hunter's lease included in the court filing reviewed by insider indicates subleasing the property through Airbnb or other short-term rental sites is allowed as long as the tenant does not claim to be a representative or employee of the property owner.
1: So okay, it's actually in the contract. In
0: This guy's this guy's going to be living in his...
1: Okay, but that still doesn't mean that he could never evict or that he can't collect rent. I mean, there's something still not adding up here.
0: There's something odd. (laughs) Yeah, this is weird. This is really weird. There is quite an article here by the way. Um, So a month-long, months-long battle between Roth and Hunter is now in court, and Roth said his friends are currently raising money for his legal fees on GoFundMe. Roth told Insider that that he would be unable to live in his house for months after a judge set a hearing date for March of next year after the current lease has expired. So what was the full term? Like how long is...
1: I think he moved in in March, so maybe we have to assume it was a year.
0: Wow. Yeah, and then they talked about the the one in California as well.
1: Well, I think that is interesting because you mentioned, of course, this is in a different state. So it's not something where it's like California has laws that only protect the tenant, for example. Right. This is now in a second state. So
0: this is California. Yeah. And um, I think there are others too. Um, This is Washington. Yeah. This is Washington. But I think that there are others beyond Washington and I think we'd have to go and hunt them down. Um, It's quite fascinating though. Um, I mean, if the person stopped paying. And Roth had to start paying, you know, the mortgage and whatnot yeah, I'd have a problem with this person being in my place still. And if I have to, I, I would have a contract that says that I can terminate that contract, you know, for cause and I will pay, uh, you know, whatever to make everybody whole in one way or another, go find another apartment. You got 30 days, um, and just get it done. Well,
1: and don't allow subleasing. It- yeah. There's no benefit to the original landlord, I don't think.
0: Yeah, only bad can come because what's going to ultimately end up happening is if the person is a bad Airbnb sublease, then you're going to have to go after your tenant for doing the sublease, not after the person who did the sublease, or not the the, uh, basement tenant, you know. So it's going to be a nightmare. Good luck. This guy can barely get out of his he can barely get out of his way you know in terms of the logistics of renting a property he's living in his van for crying out loud what a weird way to try and accrue more money you rent something that is your primary residence you live in your van but that wasn't
1: the original plan so we don't know what fell apart
0: he yeah, was supposed he, to be
1: in a different apartment
0: apparently the the uh, r- hunter stopped paying so
1: well right then he was probably trying to make two payments or something and so he had to probably drop the other residents i'm assuming
0: yeah man really weird all right let's keep going <laughs> Uh, the next article, this one will be really quick. A lion prowled the streets of an Italian village for more than five hours after escaping from a circus. And that previous article was a circus. This one is a circus too. Oh, and it's named Kimba. Wow. A lion escaped from a circus in Italy on Saturday and spent several hours on loose. Residents were warned to stay at home until the lion was captured. The town's mayor used the incident to call for an end to the use of animals in circuses is the Latin plural for circus circus. Circae? Yes. (laughs) Um, residents of lattice a seaside town near Rome. That just sound, that just sounds amazing because I've, I've been in in except
1: for the lions running around it's
0: <laughs> just one you know just run fast have tight uh, your shoes tied tight um polly thompson over at BusinessInsider.com put the article together the lion kimba pictured above was returned to the Rooney roller circus after escaping saturday this thing roamed around for five hours
1: Okay, can you imagine if you didn't get news of this? You know, you're just out, whatever you're doing, taking a walk, going for groceries, and you look over and that's looking at you. Yeah,
0: I'd be on my phone going, I'm going to need a pair of brown pants, stat. (laughs) The uh, residents were born to stay at home until the lion ate somebody and uh, laid down and caught some sleep. Oh, that's not what it says. It says residents were just warned to stay home. Um, let's see here. Okay, everything broke into Italian. So okay, I'm not but I like
1: it. the exclamation points, even though I don't know what that states. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Keep your butt inside. If you're... <laughs> Pretty
1: much. Something about an animal, I see that. Uh,
0: yeah, it's a, um, a... I don't know what Augie means, Augie. What? A, a uh, lion has escaped from the circus and lettuce bowling. Yeah. So, but I don't know what that means. Huh. All right. Anyway, either, but police... there
1: are at least three exclamation points in the message. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm powered by uh, exclamation points. The moment that there's a lot of them, I start paying more attention to it. Audible alerts, flashing lights, things like that. And eh, it's not a big deal. But the moment that I see multiple exclamation points, I perk up. Okay. There's the article in chat. Um, a police helicopter eventually tracked the lion to a field using an infrared camera. La Republica reported authorities continued to monitor the animal until vets were able to sedate it. Hmm. In a second Facebook post, Grondo confirmed that the lion had been sedated and captured and would be returned to the circus staff. Hopefully, where the circus staff would be sedated and captured as well. And then locked in a cage and told, see, this is why they escape, because they're not supposed to be in cages. Anyway. Um, I don't there, think
1: any of that was in the article.
0: No, uh, that's true. That, that There was not all of that last part in the article. Eight U.S. states had banned or restricted the use of wild animals in traveling circuses as of 2022, according to the Animal League Defense Fund. Only eight. See, the thing about it is, I think it's great for education and awareness and things like that. But, man, I have a problem with wild animals held in captivity if sea world and everything associated with orca wasn't enough for us to learn our lessons that animals just don't do well in captivity and where they do do well it's our perception of what well is i have a problem with keeping wild animals end up you know domesticated animals are domesticated they've been that way for thousands of years um but you know a lion is not going to be domesticated anytime soon. Maybe when the bees uh, become sentient and inherit the earth. If they survive. Wow. That took downing. a dark turn. Just <laughs> That's kind of funny that you said that because the lion was prowling along dark streets. Right when you said that, I read that. Let's keep on going. Hey, the next article is over in reality hacker, which is one of the new shows that's going to be coming, um, to own town. It's going to be a once a week show, one hour a week. I'm not sure what exactly day it's going to be, but it is confirmed that it's going to be one of the shows. Um, we'll be talking about, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality. Um, and what mixed reality is what the next one is called. And that's actually this. Um, and, uh beyond that we'll probably be including things like artificial intelligence deep fakes and whatnot uh, because it's all under the umbrella statement of you won't know who to trust (laughs) so this uh this article is about a game though islanders vr builds cities inside your home with mixed reality islanders vr receives uh a free mixed reality update letting you build cities inside your home on quest released earlier this year islanders vr is described as a minimalist strategy game about building cities on beautiful islands joining a growing list of mixed reality games on quest 3 a new pass-through update lets you create islands across your home environment you can see this being demonstrated below in a video that's here on OhmTown. This is probably not going to stay. We don't normally have the video embedded, um, but, uh, this, uh, source, which is upload VR, um, provides it in their snippet. So it's here, but I'm encouraging you to go over to, uh, upload VR. So th- there's the link through OhmTown. Don't even bother watching it here on, um, hometown and they've got a a video and i don't have an ad blocker so i'm not quite sure um, why they say this but anyway um you can see that there's no i have no extensions so i'm not uh, blocking their ads in my browser um islanders vr received a, a free mixed reality update letting you build cities inside your own home on quest released earlier this year islands vr is described as a minimalist strategy game So I'm going to play it for a little bit. There isn't much more to the article. Um, They do have some, a little paragraph. um, But I'm going to play this a little bit just so you can see it. And I'll mute it. And um, let's see if they actually. I want to show the part where you're building it in VR or mixed reality space. So in an apartment or a house or wherever, you can actually build your uh, world. Dun, dun, dun. And interact with it. So, <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's a pretty chill game. I don't think that there's like attacks and stuff like that. It's not frenetic. Um, it's designed for, or it's built so that you can just interact in a more relaxed, chill way. And everything is destructible. Pretty cool.
1: It looks neat.
0: Yeah, I like it too. Uh, but I don't do anything with Quest, so. I'll encourage other people to go and check it out. Well, maybe um, that, it'll
1: come to other platforms.
0: Yeah. So this brings me to another um, discussion. So let's make this quick transition and we'll talk about, well, is it Gemini or Gemini? And I've already moved this video to a a, a particular part because it actually uh, references where I got my information from, not this book, but from NASA. Um, and it's been kind of bouncing around in my head for, I don't know how long, I honestly cannot remember how far back. Um, but well before seven years ago when this video was posted, um, because I had heard that it was referred to as Gemini, not Gemini when you're talking about, uh, nasa space launches so um i thought it was really interesting and um just because of the nature of the discussion i wanted to talk about it a little bit more so i'm gonna throw this url straight into the chat um it'll be part of the show notes as well but i'm gonna play this audio and i hope that it's i'm gonna if it's not loud enough i'll replay it
1: Unlike the zodiac sign named the Gemini, pronounced Gemini, the NASA guys preferred pronouncing it Gemini as in cricket. Still don't believe me? Check out all of these NASA film reels describing it as the Gemini program.
0: Anticipation was high for Gemini. Gemini began counting down. Gemini 1, Gemini number 1 lifted smoothly
1: off the pad. The second flight test of the Gemini program. Gemini 3, the Gemini launch vehicle. With Frank Foreman and Jim Lovell on the status of the Gemini 7 spacecraft. The prime pilots for the Gemini 6 flight, Wally Schirra and Tom Stafford.
0: The launch of Gemini 6. Gemini 7 and 6, would you continue with the description of your station keeping? Six weeks after the launch of Gemini 9, astronaut John Young, command pilot of Gemini 10, and pilot Michael Collins, Gemini 10 lifted from
1: launch pad 19. Gemini launch vehicle. Gemini 10. Gemini 10. Gemini. 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 Gemini Major Gemini objective. So, Gemini, are you guys still going to contest it? Are you still going to?
0: All right, all right. Don't get salty.
1: Well, I'd say that was pretty clear. It was (laughs) Gemini.
0: Yeah, I agree. So this uh, video actually comes from the vintage space over on um, youtube.com. Go and check it out. The URL is directly linked. Um, it'll be in the show notes and uh, I've never been to their page until today, um, but they've got 386,000 subscribers and this was posted seven years ago. So it's obviously been something that is still stirring um, in the um the public's perception of what it's pronounced as so in all other cases though gemini is the sign gemini is the um the yeah even the um what you might call it the astrological constellation sign, the constellation and the astro- astrological um uh embodiment right so even uh, across the board the only time it's not gemini is when it's referencing space uh, missions, Gemini. Um, and so, uh, even the lies of P reference that was made yesterday, maybe they're riffing off of that, um, uh, because it is a, uh, like a steampunk techno kind of, um, game because it's about Pinocchio. Um, so it, it's an interesting take as well. But anyway, I thought that I would, kind of circle back around to this because I really, uh, I knew for a fact that it was pronounced a certain way, um, but not across the board. And that's what I was talking about as well. So anyway, that's it for this. Let's go on to the very next article. So this next article is over in technology today. Here's how many solar panels you'll need to charge your EV according to CNET uh and the way that the reason why i chose this is because i want a car that i can just drive around perpetually and here's how you do it um it's not going to be possible unless you have an 18 wheelers worth of framework but you put your ionic inside it and drive around with an apparatus that you'll see, you'll see what I'm talking about. So in order to make your EV green energy approved, you'll need to charge it using a renewable energy source. Solar panels are one way to accomplish that And CNET puts together this article. Um, I believe that it's written by Eric Mack and Antoine Goodwin. Um, and it says in order to make your EV green energy approved, you'll need to charge it using a renewable energy source, right? That's what I just got done saying. So how do you do that? solar because you're not going to be able to charge it with geothermal well maybe in iceland right now everything is warming up there um so good luck to them i hope everybody stays safe but with this i'm I'm not going to be able to get into all of what they go down this road to discuss because they talk about EVs plugged into the grid can either be powered by dirty sources like fossil fuels or clean, such as solar, hydro, wind energy, something that's renewable, something that doesn't impact the planet um, negatively with other aspects, right? So, with many utilities, it's likely to be a mix of renewables and fossil fuels. The best way to ensure your EV is actually powered by renewable energy is to connect your home's EV charger to a solar energy system or use a public charger also sourced by solar panels good luck right well let me throw this into the chat real quick
1: i mean right now you can't even find enough public chargers so i don't think you can go well let me drive for another 100 miles and find one with solar panels on it
0: yeah true and you can't drive hundreds of miles in an ev i mean you just can't not reliably the far extent of it would be 250 miles, which means that you, if you don't find one, you are, you're a door jam. You're a, a, you're a brick. You're just sitting there, you know, 4,000 plus pounds of m- metal and lithium. You you're done. So you would have to sit there and go, Hey, AAA, can you bring a giant battery? Can you imagine? You'd have to get your car towed somewhere just so that you can charge it for two plus hours. Anyway, so they talk about this, but then they use the car that I'm really interested in. They talk about how many solar panels you would need to have on your house to charge your car, just your car. But they use the I'm glad this
1: article is here because this is what I feel like people don't get, right? It's too abstract. It's like, oh yeah, you're going to have to charge it. But I... I hope they quantify it in this article.
0: And the thing about it is they don't, they don't talk about, uh, um, the charging system itself, right? They just talk about the solar aspect of it, the green energy aspect of it. So you're going to have to have solar panels installed on your roof, but you also have to have the interconnect between the grid and those solar panels. And you have to have the interconnect between your charging system and your grid system. So there's two different aspects because you can't just, well, you can just plug it into a wall Jack, but it's going to take a month to charge it for one day's trip. Or like I joke, you can back it out of your driveway, gravity assisted, and then hope that you can drive back in. Otherwise the battery's dead. Anyway, it says why use solar panels to charge electric vehicle and they go into some discussion about all of this, but the the real reason why I chose this is down here at the bottom here, uh, because this is how much energy is needed to charge your EV at home. So, well, how efficient is the uh, solar panels? How uh, How much sun do you get? What kind of car? How far are you driving? How aggressive are you driving? is the weather like et cetera et cetera there's all kinds of variables that play a role in charging and and uh, utilizing your ev well they make all kinds of assumptions and they lock it down so how many solar panels will you need to charge just your ev and they go well you got to determine kilowatt hours for your ev uh, uses per mile um, they talk about a certain aspect of it and then they lock it down eventually because they go through step four, step five, step six, Well, they lock it down to a Hyundai Ioniq six, the most energy efficient electric sedan on the road today. It is also currently my favorite EV, um, that has a reasonable price. There are nicer electric vehicles, but <laughs> they're $80,000, $100,000 cars. Anyway, according to fuel economy.gov, it averages 24 kilowatt hours per 100 miles or 0.24 kilowatt hours per mile. So about 41 miles a day is the average that people are using it, 15,000 annual miles. Although if you work from home, you're more like 5,000 annual miles. But 41 miles a day means that if you're going to switch to solar to charge your vehicle, ultimately you need six solar panels to charge your car each day. And those six right. panels
1: on top of whatever else you need to charge in your residence. Right?
0: Yep. It literally That's says, astonishing. yeah, it says in this article, this is just to charge your car from day to day. So if you have a bad sun day, get it sunday a bad sunday you're not charging your car to full capacity or you're pulling it from the grid cuz you can have a blended system so when when you don't max your power it doesn't go into your car you don't charge your car six panels did you
1: see how many you need for a Ford F150
0: 12 yeah so the f-150 lightning 48 kilowatt hours per 100 miles into the same formula yields a daily energy use of 19.68 kilowatt hours and a 4.9 kilowatt solar requirement doubling the q cells solar panels needed to 12 and they chose q cells because um something having to do with the quality i think they said um Yeah, they'll use a solar panel wattage of 410 watts, such as the Q-Peak Duo Black from Q-Cells, which is, uh, I guess, the upper limit at a reasonable price, I suppose. But regardless, you need six just to charge your car. And again, if you have a bad sunny day, you're not going to be driving your car around. Otherwise, you're going to be having to pull juice from the grid, which makes your power dirty. Um, and by dirty, I mean, not, uh, renewable, not green. So here's my solution. You build an apparatus kind of like a, a trucks, you know, how some trucks, utility trucks have, um, like another rack attached to the bed so that they can put boards and stuff and, and ladders and whatnot up above whatever is going to be in their bed. So you do the same thing for your um, Ionic and you build a platform that is up above the roofline of your car and you put six solar cells on it. And then you can drive your car around as long as it's sunny out and you don't drive through any shade. There you go. So just so you can see how many solar panels that might be. If they're like four by six, four by eight, you know, sheets of drywall, (laughs) plywood, you know, they're pretty big. Where are you going to have
1: room for the rest of them for your house?
0: (laughs) They'll all be up on the roof. Not a big deal. That's fine. You know, everybody likes to have a a roof that's $25,000. And then somebody slaps on a big grid of uh, solar panels on top of it and then something happens. Yeah. I I'd have to look to see how they manage to mount a grid of solar panels on a roof. I haven't looked into this in so long. Um, not since I wanted to get set, uh Tesla solar shingles, um, which I think is brilliant, but yeah, I think they're now $65,000 or something like that for your average house. Again, I'd have to look. So the the whole purpose of this exercise was to introduce you to this CNET article that allows you to walk through how much power you would need for your EV and the power um, in relation to the, the rest of your house. Just for the Ionic, which is the most efficient, is going to require you to have six panels on the roof of your house that is only designed to power your car. You have anything else on a refrigerator, electric oven, air conditioning, you're gonna be looking at twenty-five by the end of the week if you're sitting there calculating all of this. Um it it's interesting. So are you gonna do it? Yeah. <laughs> no, not at this time.
1: But I like this because this is showing the actual cost of having an EV.
0: Yeah. I think this is a brilliant conversation. Yep. Pretty cool. Right. Okay. Let's keep going. And then the next article is over in the continuity report on hometown.com. It's actually from screen rant, but star Trek's most important show in 2024 isn't Discovery. um, this is their own premise i don't know if anybody is actually asking what the most important um, show is in 2024 in relation to star trek but i'm answering it for this segment star trek is the most important show it's all the same world building it's all the same um, cinematic universe right Um, and and by that i mean the small screen because the movies are something else Um, they're, they're, they're part of the canon, but, um, it's kind of like star Wars. Some people buy into, you know, 66% of the movies because the other 33% are garbage or the other way around. Anyway, uh, the final season of star Trek discovery is the first big release next year, but it's not 2024's most important star Trek discover or show. Discovery Season 5 is the final outing for Captain uh, Michael Burnham um, and her loyal crew, sending them on an intergalactic treasure hunt. Season 5 wasn't originally intended to be the final season for Discovery, and the reshoots required to bring the series to a satisfying conclusion are just one of the many elements that have delayed the final season's release. Well, the pandemic played a huge role in it. Um, I guess people didn't want to jump through the hoops or something. I'm not quite sure. Anyway, uh, Mark Donaldson over at Screen Rant put the article together. And let's see here.
1: Well, I was going to say where some of the filming was taking place was in places that were very restricted on gatherings, etc. So I don't even know that they could film in some instances.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I really liked discovery, but it was pretty much the embodiment of my attitude that something has fundamentally changed in, um, star Trek's, um, presentation of its world building. It got decidedly darker. It got decidedly more violent. Um, it got just, I don't know, a little bit more dystopian than I liked, um, Star Trek to be and I grew up with Star Trek the original series and all of the iterations of it I was uh, um, pretty dedicated to the show or shows plural and the movies I own all of the movies I watched the show multiple times um, largely I don't think much of it has legs so re-watching it is uh, kind of clunky for me because i sit there and go they said that then they they did that then Um, but uh, i am an animal that understands cultural relativism and and temporal relativism so certain things and times existed prior to today um but what i like about this article is that it is rightfully calling out that discovery isn't the the most important show um mainly because it is far flung into the future and i think it has a hard time with people attaching to it um now the article even says uh, star trek discovery season 5 brings the show to an end in 2024 it's a good time to look at the state of the franchise it leaves behind with no more discovery after 2024 it leaves a question of which star trek will drive the franchise into 2025 and beyond. And they mention, um, they say, uh, the answer to the question comes in the form of Mike McMahon's animated comedy series, Star Trek Lower Decks. And I think that Lower Decks... Go ahead.
1: I was going to say, before you get into Lower Decks, what do you think of Discovery for non-Star Trek fans? People that don't have... Familiarity
0: with the other I, episodes. I think it's so far in the future. It's not approachable. I I think that it is, it has a conflict in and of itself that it's way beyond. Um. Even being able to pull um, modern politics into it or technology to make references. <laughs> it's, it's too far, which means that it's so abstract. It's beyond arm's reach for people for appeal. Um, but it started out further back. So you had different, uh, Klingons you didn't, you have, and now you have this abstract, m- maybe, um, yeah, how did the, the show end? I'm trying to remember fully um, Discovery's ending. There's like this abstract artificial intelligence, right? That's still... Uh, I still think that around. was at the
1: end of season four. It's been but, a while since it's aired.
0: Yeah, like the ending of season four was the missile embedded in the, the ship, I think. Um, and and things are just f- super fantastical with the shape-shifting um, uh, little buddy ship. And, and now, uh, discovery itself has this, other, these other means of faster than light travel. It, it just seems really clunky and disjointed. Um, and then far out of reach from people to, you know, really grasp onto lower decks. It's silly. It's fun. It may it plays a lot of fan service, right? Cause it makes all of these callbacks. It has people that are currently still interested in star Trek that were in star Trek coming black, coming back and playing parts. Um, I, I think that it's great. Now, one issue I have is, um, where is it? The, so the whole lower decks crew that everybody has come to know and love is actually moving up a rank, which means that they're starting to move out of being lower decks. So, That's just, true. you know, is it going to be like the Simpsons where everybody is, if you were to chronologically do it, you know, Bart Simpson is like 65 years old yet. He's still Bart Simpson. Um, and it's great for a show where everybody just buys into that, but will everybody buy into that forever with lower decks? Cause people really, they in the other episode, uh, in the other series, everybody grows up. They grow out of their position. They uh, gain more autonomy. They gain more ability. So I don't know. Star Trek discovery um i think it's ending is going to be anticlimactic it's not going to there's there's not going to be much there for anybody to hold on to into the future um they talk about strange new worlds in this article i've always liked strange new worlds you know since it started each episode um was speedy there wasn't any dead air um i liked each one at, in a can and then all of them connected. Um, I, I would like to see more strange new worlds, but they're talking about something called star Trek legacy, which I don't know much about. Um, where so, is star
1: Trek legacy? I didn't even see that mentioned.
0: Yeah, that's something else. They may not talk about it in this. Um, but there's supposed to be something called star Trek legacy. And I don't know much about it. Here it it is. Is it in here?
1: Oh, it looks like it's going to be a follow-on card. Yeah, it's right below where your cursor is.
0: Oh, yeah, there it is. So um, I like the idea of lower decks, but the problem is that it's animated. Not everybody is interested in watching animated anything. Um, Star Trek Next Generation grabbed onto a whole lot of people and was immensely popular. And then, um, deep space nine took the ball and ran with that, but it was locked in really in a, a, a geographic location in time and space. Um, so where do we go from there? I, I think that we need to go back to the more positive next generation era storytelling where it wasn't so dark and dystopian and there were things being discovered about each character and about the universe, about worlds that they were landing and new populations and stuff like that. Um, I, I just, I like the modernization of strange new worlds, but I really want the copious amounts of storytelling coming from next generations, more positive aspects. Um, I think that would be my, like the, the convergence of that, that, those two ideas would be, um, great. I think people would be able to attach to it a little better. Um, cause I, I want to get away from the, the, the troubles, the strife, the, the crap of the real world, right? That's why I watch shows that are fantastical. Um, and, and hearing about it again and again, the same kind of trouble, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, not necessarily. And of course I'm just talking about me. Um, so they talk about Star Trek Picard. They talk about Star Trek legacy. It says, but to date, nothing has been greenlit. Um, if it is a knockoff of Picard, then I think that it's already DOA. Um, because if it's his kid, which legacy implies, um, it's like Bosch legacy. Right. Is there much of yeah, a difference? The
1: difference might be that Picard might not be in legacy, which if he was, I think it could, it could do well, but if it's only based on the kid.
0: Yeah. it For everybody to buy into it, people need, it needs to stand on its own. Um, so I've, I'm going to have a hard time, I think with Star Trek legacy, but that's okay. Um, so, How can Legacy and uh, Lower Decks work together? They talk about it in this article as well. So this puts Star Trek Lower Decks in an important position as it effectively is bridging the gap between the end of Star Trek The Next Generation Movies and Star Trek Picard. Important changes to the makeup of the Federation will therefore be reflected in Star Trek Legacy. Big Lower Deck plot points like the return of the Breen and Ferengi Federation membership Could have fascinating ramifications for captain seven of nine and the crew of the USS enterprise G so yeah, it'll be quite interesting. Um, and can you imagine if the people who play, um, Mariner and Boimler transition into (laughs) captains? you mean, in the real world oh yeah in like in, in the
1: live action in the live shows? action star trek oh yeah. that would be very interesting
0: wouldn't that be fascinating because we've seen them in real life we know that they're real actors right they're not just oh, because of
1: the crossover with strange new worlds yeah. there was one episode that was a crossover
0: yeah they they they, they did a crossover into the, into the real world, next generation, uh, not next generation, um, strange new worlds. Um, and they're not, they're not specialized as just voice actors for the animated series. They transitioned into, you know, this live action. So if that happens, I am on board with legacy because they hit it out of the park with their personalities. It would be amazing. Um, so, and they have screen presence, you know, you paid attention to them on the screen. They weren't just these little uh, annoying characters somewhere. So this'll be fun. Um, I hope to, to watch more of it. Okay. Um, I've been soapboxing for quite a bit, so let's get onto some more of the show. Uh, the next article is over in hatch ideas. I'll try not to soapbox about this one, but man, I ranted, Do you think
1: this is Marvel fatigue or this is something about this specific movie?
0: I think it's this specific movie. This this embodiment of the, there's three characters that are in the Marvels. Um, so this article is over in Hatch Ideas. Uh, the Marvels has worst opening weekend ever for any Marvel Cinematic Universe film at $47 million. And that's the total composite. The Friday launch day was only like $22 dollars, and then you over, know. yeah, and and it's this weekend. So what the hell, right? Well, the article is over at CNBC. Sarah Witten um, is the author. It says the Marvels generated an estimated forty-seven million dollars domestically over its debut weekend, the week the weakest in franchise history. It says the lowest, but. Um, initial prediction saw the latest Marvel cinematic universe film opening between 75 and 80. No, I'll tell you why. Uh, at least in my estimation, uh, the only MCU films that have opened lower than 60 million have been 2015's Ant-Man and 2008's Incredible Hulk. Incredible Hulk had Andrew Norton and no.
1: Edward Norton.
0: Uh, Edward Norton. Who did I say?
1: Andrew Norton.
0: Andrew, Ed, yeah, Ed Norton. Um, sorry, and um, n- just no. Uh, I I watched it. I I didn't like him playing the Incredible Hulk. Maybe others did, but it has a weak showing um, in reviews. So
1: isn't it played by Mark Ruffalo now? Now, yes.
0: Yeah. So and and that's a better personality for it. <laughs> um, so in 2015's Ant-Man, I think, um, this was just a new personality. Uh, it was a new character. I think people had a hard time attaching to Ant-Man. Um, but came out swinging since then, you know, all of the movies are uh, doing better. So it's Except a Disney for the
1: last one. That was a bomb.
0: Which one? Oh, Ant Man and the Wasp. I forgot
1: what it's called. The, the last one.
0: Yeah. But yes. I but it didn't do less than sixty million. Right?
1: I don't know. I saw a headline about it recently. I don't think it did very well, but I forgot what the number was.
0: Okay. So it says here Disney and Marvel Studios have struggled to reconnect with audience in the post end game era and I think the issue here is that there is no reason to watch the marvels, you know, the, the, the people that were involved, the story that was there, there isn't anything there. So it was literally, um, the equivalent of Buzz Lightyear's movie called Lightyear there, there wasn't anything for anybody to attach to. So why go and see it? You know, it wasn't to go see Brie Larson. What was the story all about? Because it wasn't, it didn't seemingly be a part of the cinematic universe. At least all of the, the, the marketing hype didn't really drive home that it was important to go and watch this movie. Um, and so it, it seemed to me like it was trying to play to a certain audience i don't know what that audience is i don't know what language they were speaking to uh, attract even the 47 million dollars worth of uh, customers it says despite posting the lowest uh, domestic debut for the mcu the marvels proved once again the importance of the international marketplace for the marvel brand Um, the film will now rely on Thanksgiving holiday corridor movie going to help move the big budget superhero film closer to profitability and help determine the film's ultimate success at the box office. I don't think that it's going anywhere.
1: So my fault about Ant-Man quantum mania, it did do pretty well on the opening weekend and then it really fell like it, it kind of just plummeted plummeted. after that. So it went over a hundred million for the opening
0: gotcha. Yeah. So, um, I wasn't paying attention to the numbers, um, for that. Um, but the way that I look at this particular article, I just, because I saw the numbers rolling in and people talking about it. And the only conclusion that I have is that people weren't interested in it because there wasn't anything there. What was the story? What was the attractor? There wasn't anything and Brie Larson doesn't command an audience to come and watch. So I just, I, I, nobody bought into it literally. So um, the article goes into greater detail about their perceptions of it. It says that's why perhaps the Marvel's landed the second lowest opening day for an MCU film securing just 21.5 million on Friday. This figure includes 6.6 million from Thursday night previews. Wow. Friday opener was actually only 15 million dollars the film uh the only film to snare fewer tickets um was the Incredible Hulk which yeah um yeah I I don't think anybody liked the Incredible Hulk with Ed Norton in it so they said um, expanding the MCU brand past the Goldilocks zone of balanced exposure without feeling like homework to the casual audience has created a challenge for the franchise to begin correcting for. Said Robbins. Uh, Robbins is Sean Robbins, chief analyst at BoxOffice.com. This doesn't make any sense to me. Um, th- this seems like it's kind of I I, I don't know what movie review. <laughs> Gobbledygook, um, because I don't think that it's about the Goldilocks zone. I think that it's about good quality writing, story build, uh, story writing, and world building. And the casual. Yeah, I think
1: what's above there though is basically like the audience has to do a lot of work to understand it.
0: Yes, that right there. But if the story and the marketing would have been aligned to introduce people. These three are connected by a thread and you need to watch this because the Marvel's captain Marvel is very important to the MCU omniverse. Um, why make it so abstract and obscure? The marketing doesn't even begin to tell a story, (coughs) at least the stuff that I've seen. So, I
1: would say the average person that was asked what is the Marvel's about, they would go, I don't know.
0: Exactly. Uh, Because
1: I don't mean like a super fan for MCU, but just somebody in the general public.
0: Yeah. I think people understand um, Captain Marvel, but not Ms. Marvel. Um, And frankly, I've lost that. There's supposed to be three in this, but for crying out loud, man, I'm, I'm lost. Anyway, um, that's it for this article. Let's keep on going. We've got three more articles to go, and um, I soapboxed quite a lot. So the the next article is over in Ohm Daily, Dolly Parton, Taylor Swift, and more celebrities with species named after them. Um, let me make this one really quick because I, I do really feel like I need to soapbox about this as well, um, but not because of this article. It's because of another article, but this one is a little bit more
1: um approachable
0: yeah heavy steel uh welcome to the show name a species after you Mm, we'll have to find something appropriate let's see we'll have to look into it um the eponym is a scientific species name that comes from a real or A fictional person, scientists have named many species after celebrities. They either want to honor the person or bring attention to the species or both. When a scientist names a newly described species, there are certain rules that they have to follow, but that doesn't mean they can't get creative. When choosing a two-word scientific name, researchers have long drawn inspiration from everything from myths to music to literature. Um, But in this case, they're talking about Dolly Parton, Taylor Swift, and other celebrities. Jenny McGrath is the author over at businessinsider.com that put the article together um this is one that we've talked about the taylor swift one we've talked about the dolly Parton one we've talked about what was the newest one that we talked about i think it was the taylor swift one um i, I-
1: thought it was actually a second uh, one for jimmy buffett um and then we also had one for keanu reeves
0: oh yeah that's right keanu reeves is another so in honor of Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville scientist named the yellow snail Cayo margarita. Um, but this other article that I'm not even, uh, I, I, didn't include in today's rundown. Um, it, when I saw this, I had already chosen this because I had a take on this where it seems odd to make something favorable to people, to pay attention to it because if this thing is precariously perched on the border of cute um, and not emphatically dangerous or so obscure that nobody will ever find it people are going to go and try and get this thing whatever it might be you know something named after Taylor Swift oh my god I gotta have it you know so exactly. when choosing
1: instead of just going oh I need to preserve this
0: yeah so when choosing a name they're trying to draw attention to it but the problem is the wrong type of attention means that people are going to make something that is barely known to the scientific world hence it was just now named into something that's endangered or critical because people start trying to scoop it up out of the ocean or from the woods or whatever dirt pile they're found in so it says here are 12 species from lichens to spiders and their eponymous celebrities. So there's a David Bowie spider. I actually knew about that one already. A heteropter, a David Bowie spider. Beyonce has a spider. Or no, a bee. Sorry. Bee like horsefly, actually, which I think is rude. <laughs> Scaptia or Plinthina. Beyonce bee like horsefly.
1: Well, isn't she queen bee?
0: I suppose I'm not even going to go down that road. I'm going to put my comments in a box to the left. Johnny Cash has a tarantula. (laughs) Angelina has a, a spider as well.
1: I had no idea there were so many celebrity named species.
0: David Attenborough. There was something else. We just talked about Attenborough. An echidna. Oh yeah, that's right. They just discover they rediscovered an echidna, and I think they're naming it after Attenborough. Apparently
1: um, he has multiple things named after him.
0: Yeah. Jennifer Lopez. A mite. <laughs> Yikes. Please don't name a mite after me. <laughs> Radiohead and the and an ant called Radiohead Eye. <laughs> Sarah Comer mix. Interesting. That one actually looks really interesting. I wonder what all of that Uh is. Little hairs. Pretty cool. So Taylor Swift is named, uh, has, a a millipede called Ninaria (laughs) Swift millipede too funny. Her music helped me get through the highs and lows of graduate school. So naming a new millipede species after her is my way of saying, thanks. says a Virginia tech researcher, Derek Hennon, um, talk about super fan, a, a Nathia Marley. um, crustacean is named after Bob Marley and Dolly pardon as their own lichen. Peter Benchley has a shark. Oprah Winfrey has another lichen. Wow, and that's it. So I'm sure that there are more out there, but um, I I ran through these pretty quick. Again, there is always more content at these articles. We kind of go over some of it um, and encourage you to go check it out. So let's keep on hustling. We got two more articles to go through. This next article is uh, in Technology Today. I believe that we've spoken of this once before, uh, but I wanted to talk about it again. Test driving the 100% electric ARC-1 speedboat. Um, this is from CNET. They visited Long Beach, California to get their hands on the ARC-1, a limited edition luxury speedboat powered by two huge battery banks and cooled by the surrounding water. Um, this is what it looks like. And I can't remember the price. They might say it in here. I think it's something like a h- over $100,000 or something. Don't hold me to that. We'll scroll down. This
1: does look familiar. I think we did have another article.
0: Yeah. Um, but I wanted to talk about it because even in the day and age where we're sitting here grousing about having 250, maybe on downhill in a hurricane, 350 miles in an EV, You're going to get in a battery-powered boat, toot around the bay, run out of battery power, and have to charge where for two hours? Well, what if
1: you're in the ocean or something? The bay is one thing, but better pick your route uh, accordingly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You better have a supply ship with a generator tooting behind you under steam power, because if it's electric too, it's done for 500 horsepower. The arc one's top speed is software set to 40 miles per hour. Um, they had the opportunity to get behind the wheel briefly and bring this boat up to speed and put a smile on their face. What was that? Oh,
1: the price is 300,000.
0: I was off by a a little smidge that's on par with other high end gas boats of this type and $90,000 less than the competitor Candela's electric hydrofoil power boat. Uh, Lee, who I think is the owner of the Mitch Lee, Arc co-founder. co-founder. Yeah. Um, tells the author that, uh, they're already hard at work on its next boat, which can be reserved now via its website with a $500 deposit. Um, more news is expected on ARC's next model. I, I've got uh, a $100 down payment on a bamboo electric um, EV uh, minivan. Nothing. Bupkiss has come out of that. Like, nobody has sent me an email, and it's been like Isn't that a years. canoe? No. The, the canoe, right? Did I say bamboo? Yes. Canoe. Canoe. Yeah. Sorry, not bamboo. Canoe hey it's late it's not late i don't know what to tell you see this is the the ai keeps me in check and and corrects my vocal typos
1: (laughs) i thought you had a second one
0: (laughs) yeah really no still waiting i will probably never see that thing that's okay Let's keep on going. We've got one more article. Yay! Uh, got to make that sound like uh, Kermit the frog. Woo! Okay. Well, the last article for tonight, I won't be able to soapbox about this. You know, my bias is pretty tangible when it comes to uh, anything Tesla. Um, this article is over at hometown daily. I found it fascinating. I actually went and looked, this actually is true. Tesla will sue you for $50,000 if you try to resell your cyber truck within the first year. Yeah.
1: I mean, this reminds me of digital products or whatever. Now you can't even sell your vehicles.
0: Well, funny. You should mention that there is another article in hometown where, and I don't know which site it belongs to. So you'll have to go and do a search in, in hometown, but Because cars are so software driven, you no longer own your car. You have a perpetual license to drive it around. And if you don't, for whatever reason, if they change the terms and your heated seats are powered by the software, you'll have to pay five bucks a month or however long. uh, BMW, I think it was, was like, you got to pay $49 a month or something like that. Well, asinine. that
1: backfired. I think yep. they stopped that, but yeah. <laughs> and there was an uproar.
0: Yep, exactly. So Tesla has released the sale terms for its long-awaited Cybertruck ahead of its uh, November 30th release or 30 November release. Some places like to flip that whole thing around. Anyway, owners of the EV pickup truck are banned from reselling their vehicles for the first year. Musk hopes to produce A quarter of a million annually by 2025, well, whatever is produced in the first year, won't be allowed to be sold. And they reserve the right to ban you from purchasing any other Tesla vehicles if you do try to sell it.
1: Why would anybody want this? With those terms, regardless of whatever you think of the truck.
0: Yeah. So, I titled this segment for sale only fans wanted, not the website. Um, but so this is an article over at businessinsider.com. Polly Thompson is the author. I thought I wanted beyond all hope to like the design of the Cybertruck, but I think it's stupid. Um, it's it's big, it's clunky every version of it that I've seen so far, either, uh, in person, I've actually seen the cyber truck in person, um, or video or pictures. It has quality control issues. Um, Elon Musk hopes to produce a quarter of a million annually by 2025, but somehow I doubt that there's going to be enough demand for these things. Um, it, it makes me feel like the DeLorean just without the snow tires. Um, I don't know what, uh, Elon Musk will do, but anyway, um, so yeah, it says you agree that you will not sell or otherwise attempt to sell the vehicle within the first year, following your vehicle's delivery date. Tesla may seek injunctive relief to present, uh, to prevent the transfer of the title of the vehicle or demand liquidated damages, from you in the amount of $50,000 or the value received as consideration for the sale or transfer, whichever is greater Tesla may also refuse to sell you any future vehicles. And so get. if
1: you're lucky enough to sell it for a hundred thousand, they're coming after you for that.
0: Yes. Now the only, I don't see how this is enforceable. Um, now them saying them saying oh by the way oh there that's something else that i learned um let's see if it's in here so oh
1: oh i agree with you about it not being enforceable but how do they have knowledge of it because the software
0: yeah of course yeah it'll transfer over something that i didn't know about was the full self-driving feature if it's activated in a vehicle it's not transferable to a new owner so I don't quite get it. Does that mean that you, if I sell my Tesla that has full self-driving that the next person can't use full self-driving? Or does it I just I don't know. Switch? I think
1: they just start a new subscription because I don't even like that for the original owner. <laughs> you have to do a subscription to have full self-driving instead of a one-time fee.
0: Yeah, $200 a month. Yeah, you're perpetually... Yeah. At the hip
1: paying to drive your own vehicle. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was first announced in 2019. It took a while to actually turn into something. Tesla originally said that the price of the truck would start at $40,000, but uh, everybody believes it's going to be more. I don't know what the real price is. Um, just yet, but Elon Musk I'm said guessing
1: 50 that-
0: K <laughs> that makes sense. Um, it would take a year to eighteen months before the EV truck can become a significant cash flow contributor. Adding that the, he had hoped that the production of the Cybertruck would reach a quarter of a million annually by 2025. I just don't see it. But Heavy Steel says, "When does Tesla get sued for predatory consumer policies? Probably when somebody who isn't a, a fan um, gets sick of his shit." So. Um, Well, it might be
1: the first Cybertruck owner.
0: Well, the first one within the year that wants to sell it. Right, right. right. You can put sale terms into anything, but without the ability to negotiate them one way or the other, the only bargaining power you have is to not purchase. And I'm not quite sure U.S. law is compatible with that type of ideology.
1: Nor would I expect that European law is.
0: I don't know. I've heard rumors like Ferrari. You can't buy a certain Ferrari until you own a previous Ferrari. Um, And and in some cases, somebody has to speak up for you on your behalf. Like, hey, yeah, they'll take care of it. They love that. Like an
1: endorsement.
0: Yeah. Um, But I've never seen it enumerated. So I haven't seen a sale contract on a Ferrari. Um, So I don't know if it's enumerated there. I'm sure I could get my hands on one, but um but you but here i i just don't get it when you purchase something you have uh, for sale doctrine i can resell any property that i own it, it's, and
1: i'm assuming you're actually buying the truck and not leasing it right but this makes it look like a lease
0: yeah for the first year you're actually in bed with tesla and you cannot get out until a year goes by. It's almost like having uh, a renter in your apartment and you're sleeping in your van. Yeah.
1: Oh, you mean like the Airbnb landlord that has run into some problems?
0: Landlords, plural now. I mean, it's more than, but that's what this really smacks of. And, And here's like, there's, there's more icing on the cake of this. If a customer has a good reason to sell their cyber truck, Tesla may agree to buy it back at the original price minus 25 cents per mile driven reasonable wear and tear and the cost to repair the vehicle to Tesla's used vehicle, cosmetic and mechanical standards. So you can't, you are, that truck is still owned by Tesla, even though you pay for it. And if you want to sell it for a profit, because you're just done with this shit, whatever is going on, you're just done. The only person you can sell it to is at the original price minus losses, like a lease. This is insane. Why would anybody buy this?
1: I don't know. And why would anybody buy it as a, as a resale? Because they'd be fearful that they're going to get embroiled in some sort of lawsuit with Tesla.
0: Yeah, so obviously talking about this is going to... But is that what this is all about? You know, it's stirring the pot by putting this in place and then idiots like me are sitting there talking about it. And then and then it's removed just arbitrarily. Yeah, we'll, we'll just remove it because there's you know, too much negative hype. But it's still hype. I don't it's know. It's still out there. I'm
1: not going to comment on the tactics of the... The company owner here. Boy maybe.
0: genius. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just shocked that anybody would buy this. Uh, not only because of the, every report that's ever talked about the cyber trucks embodiment right now being, and, and Tesla's in general being kind of hinky. Um, but the it, only it just,
1: coverage I ever see is about the wiper. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like everything is in beta, and don't worry, we'll do it live and we'll fix it in post later on at some point if enough people complain about it. But while everybody's complaining about it, let's ramp up that team to mitigate any public disclosure of all of their unhappiness, you know, because that actually existed too. Yeah, it's pretty sad. I don't know, but hey. We all, not we all, I had nothing to do with it, but let's just say society created the monster and now we're trying to just deal with it. Anyway, that's it for today, folks. Enough of my soapboxing. We ran really long today. This is like the longest 10 that we've done. Not that I really obsess about the time, but I try and be efficient so that everybody can actually go about their day after an hour. But I leave all of this in here. This is how the sausage is made here in Hometown. ASMR. That's it. I'm done. I'm Marwat. <laughs> no, okay. Wait, wait, wait. Sorry. I'm in trouble already. I'm not allowed to leave yet, Heavy Steel. So um, if you do take off, you have a good night, but. I'm supposed to bring us all back down Main Street, refresh that front page, walk through this. I want to see Rebel Moon. There's a new Rebel Moon Part One, A Child of Fire. That's supposed to be on Netflix, I think it is. Um, or Yeah, Netflix, um, which is interesting to me. But anyway, um, I want to see this. Uh, I saw this right before the show, but I didn't get a chance to go and look into it. Um. Oh God.
1: How about tourists rethinking their relationship with Earth?
0: Yeah, Earth is breaking up with us, and all of the tourists have to rethink because Earth is saying, "I'm taking my box. That's to the left." Mm.
1: Have <laughs> Beyonce on the brain today.
0: <laughs> uh, hey, a UNESCO World Heritage Site with thousands of people living inside it must be an airbnb um let's see what else
1: that aren't paying rent
0: that aren't paying rent yes that's true let's see upgrade your gaming system on a budget with a 145 dollar 27 inch acer nitro monitor that is an ad but hey a 27 Still inch,
1: sounds like a good deal right <laughs> yeah
0: 27 inch monitor for 145 bucks that's hell of a deal depends on what it is though you know i mean i've if it isn't 1440, then it may, it, I don't know. It's probably 1080, though. That's pretty much the standard, but we're pushing harder into 1440 as standard, at least technology-wise. Let's see. What else? We need to watch more of One Piece. Um, did you want me to go up or down?
1: I was just trying to get more variety. That uh, was mainly yeah. entertainment. Verticals.
0: Uh, yeah, we got a bunch uh, of stuff.
1: Netflix games is going to bring Hades to iOS in 2024.
0: Oh my goodness. The iOS. All right. All right. That's it. Black Friday. Black Friday deals? When is Black yeah, Friday? Yeah,
1: they've started that basically at the beginning of November. Like we're so far removed from it, it just becomes this month long.
0: Oh, gosh. It's like so many other things. Games are released and announced and then hyped for two years, movies, all kinds of stuff, blah, blah, blah. All right. That's it. I am Merwat. That's hometown.com. And up there is the sentient AI that made me talk for five more minutes to talk about upcoming articles that we'll talk about tomorrow. (laughs) You want to say goodnight? I
1: don't think I was the cause of that. Yes. Uh, good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern because it'll be Monday's show. Monday show.
0: Monday, 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 Monday. Heavy Steel, thanks for sticking around. If you did, um, we'll see you tomorrow. Hopefully, everybody in uh, that's lurking, appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for sticking around. Be sure to follow if you're not already following. Um, we haven't moved the needle of followers for a while now, but um, again, we are typically a one hour show, one hour show, not an hour and 40 minutes. But we got steamy. OK, that's it. See you tomorrow. Bye, everybody. I muted the music like 30 minutes ago and never turned it back on. See you everybody. Actually, an hour ago. See you.
1: Bye.